Hey, um, I have a, we have a word for you today. Uh, next week, we are actually starting a new series called Holiness in a Hostile World, right? A holiness in a Hostile World. So today, it's, um, it's kind of like an introduction to that message, or to that series. You know, we spent countless months talking about this concept of being with God, having this relationship with God, being close to him, uh, walking with him, having this depth of um, uh, deep insight with him because of who he is and who he made us to be. We're, we're meant to be with God, not just do things for God. So in light of being with God, how do we live our lives now? That's really the question, right? In light of now being with God, meditating with God, walking with God, building relationship with God, how am I now, how are we now to live our lives in this world? Right? How are we to live our lives in a way that shows that we are his? How are we to live a, live a life in such a way that sets us apart for Jesus Christ? And the coming series is going to help us flush that question out. Today's message, again, is an introduction, a broad look of what it looks like to live for Jesus. Okay? It's meant to kind of give you guys a big picture of what it, what it means to be a Christian and the, the holiness and the righteousness that comes with it. Another way of saying it is this. How does a person who has been with Jesus, changed by Jesus, now should live? And that's my hope for this today's message, to give you this picture. Being with God, now how are you to live? How are you to work out your salvation into a world like this? And we're going to learn it from the book of 1 Peter. Okay? 1 Peter. Uh, it's, uh, it's, Peter is a disciple of Jesus. He's one of the original apostles, the fisherman, who was made one of the original disciples of Jesus, turned leader of the church, and then later on, turned evangelist to the world. He wrote this letter while the church was going under heavy hostility from the government, from the, the world, from their country, right, from Rome itself. There was a huge, massive persecution to the Christian faith around 64 AD under the emperor of Nero. Christianity was not accepted at that time because of the way uh, its refusal to bend to the cultural norms of sex, of government, of family, of power. And in the midst of all of this hostility to Christianity, in the midst of all this hostility to Christianity, Peter writes this letter to the scattered Christians all over the world, reminding them, in the midst of all this hostility, you were called to be holy. You were called to live righteously. You were called to live a light in a dark world. You were called to live differently. You were called to live out who you are, who God has made you to be. And he's trying to encourage them to stay true to that call. The Bible is God's word to us, and therefore it is timely. It's timeless and timely, so it works in all situations. It's very much like our day say, isn't it? Right? There's a lot of hostility towards Christianity. Why? Because we live in a world where Christians refuse to bend the knee towards the cultural norms of sex, of power, of family, of government. Do what we say. Christian says no. Believe what we believe. No. Right? Enact what we enact. No. And in so doing so, Christians live in opposition to our world. So once again, like in the days of Peter, we find ourselves in this generation fighting against the uh, eradication of biblical Christianity. So what do we do? What do we do? How does a person who have been with Jesus, changed by Jesus, how now should we live? 
And the answer today is coming come to us for 1 Peter chapter 1. You guys open your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 25. I did not have Kevin and Paul today, this week, with me. So I'm not going to guarantee you how short this message is going to be. Okay? <laughs> All right. Boo, boo, get out of here. <laughs> That's our elder, by the way. <laughs> All right. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13. Okay? How should we be living? We should place, first of all, God over the mob. Check this out. Verse 13, therefore, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, it means that whatever came before it, now this is how you should apply it, okay? Therefore, because of who God has done, what who God is, what Jesus has done for us on the cross, because the hope we have, because of the salvation of your life, because of the promise of eternity, because of what has been given to you, therefore, now do this. What is this? Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed, right? Be self-controlled. Another word for that is be sober-minded, okay? The Bible tells us this. How should we be living? The answer is God over the mob. You're called to have a sober mind. Now, what's the opposite of sober? You guys all know? You can say it, drunkenness, yes, yes. I know, I know it's a foreign concept for a lot of us. So let's say hypothetically, right? Hypothetically, you know, a drunken mind is a mind that's what? Easily swayed. A drunken mind is a mind that is constantly jumping from one conversation to the next con- conversation. A drunken mind is someone who is constantly moving back and forth, both physically, because they're swaying, right? And mentally, because they're on, the, on every single topic that's going on around them. No one, un- they understand themselves, but no one else understands them, right? That's a drunken mind. And what Peter is saying here is, you gotta get your head in the game. You gotta be sober-minded. You gotta have your, um, you have to prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. What does that mean? He says this. When you are emotional, when you respond emotionally, you are acting like a drunk person. You're not sober-minded. Why? Everyone is emotional, isn't it? But nobody is actually thinking. Everyone's emotional, but very few of us are actually thinking. See, we are called as believers to worship God, not just in our emotions, not just physically, not just spiritually, but also with our minds. You are to worship your God with your mind. All your passions are great. Your passion is like a... um, like a sail that leads, that, that, that drives the boat, but your mind is like the rudder that directs the boat. See, if you worship God, if you come to church and you, I, I love here, I, I love the emotion of it, I love the singing, I feel God's presence, but you're not using your mind, you're not worshiping God. And, there, and here's the thing, for, for us, as, as, what does that mean for us? Being sober-minded minded keeps you by being swayed. Being sober-minded keeps you from being swayed by the mob, by whatever's voice is loudest in the room, whatever is the deepest emotional plea. See, Christians, we are called to have passion. We are called to be uh, fighting for things. But we are called to do what first? To think. We're not called to be mindless Christians. And whenever something huge pops up, and all of a sudden, our emotions get in the way. We're not thinking about it. We're just kind of going and doing. What are you doing? I don't know. I just got to go. Where are you going? I don't know. I just got to go. 
What are you going to do? I don't know. I just got to do. There's no mind behind that. We need to learn to be mindful so that we can discern what God's will is, right? Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to test and approve God's will, his pleasing and perfect will. Because when Christians are no longer using their minds to worship, what happens? They begin to be swayed by whatever winds of change comes their way. Whichever voice is loudest, whichever group is most passionate, whichever is coming into their newsfeed the most, they begin to respond. Thinking proceeds doing, yes? You don't tell a person in the military, right, um, ready, fire, aim, right? You, 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 don't, you don't train your military to go, hey, man, ready, fire, aim. And what did you shoot? I don't know, I just shot Right? I'll figure out what happens later. It's aim, right? Ready, aim and fire. You gotta aim. You gotta think about where you're going. And then you do it. How many of us, when we get real emotional, we jump into, I just need to do something? Right? You're right. You need to do something. You need to think about what you're doing first before you do it. Unless you are sober-minded, when you approach every situation, you will find yourself placing the mob over your God. How are we to be living in a hostile world? How are we to be living in a world that's constantly ADD because they're jumping from one issue to the other? You put God over the mob by being what? Sober-minded. You worship your God with your mind. Otherwise, you will find yourself reacting to whatever you see on TV, on Instagram, on Facebook, rather than discerning, reflecting, thinking it through, and working it through. See, we have this hope, the Bible says, right? We have set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. We have a hope. It's not a wishful hope. It's a reality hope. We know exactly what's going to happen. We know he wins. We know that this is the journey. We know that he has victory. So we have the time and we have the discernment to think through what is it, God, that you want me to do versus just jumping into it. I know we live in in a culture that, that values inward passion. And I'm not saying the passion is wrong. I want you guys to have passion. I want you guys to have the fire. But let it be directed with your mind, right? That's why the Bible tells us that we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. How should we be living in a hostile world? We place God above the mob by being sober-minded, not drunken-minded, not easily swayed. Here's the second thing. How do we live in a hostile world? We are to put God over selfishness. Look at verse 14 and 16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you live in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. It's saying here, do not conform. Do not conform. There's a lot of pressure today, isn't there? 
to conform. There's a lot of pressure that we have to conform to whatever narrative is going on around us. Like, you, they, they tell you, do something, follow us, listen to us, right? We see it all over social media, we see it in our entertainment, we see it in our news, we see it in the workplace, we see it in our school. There's a lot of pressure to conform. Just join us. Say what we say, do what we do, and you won't get hurt. There's a lot of pressure to conform. There's a lot of pressure for you to act and react right away. And if you take too long to react or press a like button, right, you're canceled. There's a lot of pressure to conform. But Peter is saying what? Don't. Don't go back to a life and following that you once knew. Don't go back to the selfish mentality where it's me first. My recognition, my accolades, my virtual signaling. Don't go back to the thing where I want everyone to know what I stand for, but I will do nothing about it, but I stand for it. Don't conform to the narrative, but rather to the character of God, which is what? Be holy as I am holy. Be very concerned about your personal conduct as a child of God, because one day you will stand before God to give account of what you do. The thing you should be worried about is not whether everyone else around you is liking you because you acquiesce to their desires. But what you should be more worried about, what you should be more concerned about is the personal conduct of you as a child of God because you will one day have to give account before him. What that means for us is this. Your selfishness dictates what you want to do. Christians, we are dictated by what God wants us to do. How should we be living in a hostile world? That we place God over selfishness. Place God over our personal rights. We place God over our self-centeredness. We place God over what we deem, what we need, or what we desire. This means that instead of seeking to lift us up, We are seeking to pursue holiness, to pursue God's character. And what does holiness mean? It's very simple. It's a rebellion against God. I mean, a rebellion against uh, God. (laughs) Oh, that's bad. Oh, slip of the tongue, right? Oh, that's like North Korea. Holiness is rebellion against the world, okay? Holiness is a rebellion against the world. Everyone is rebelling against God, okay? We got the world and we got God. Everyone's rebelling against God. Holiness is the opposite. Holiness is saying, I am rebelling against the world. What God calls holy, the world calls weird. What God calls holy, the world calls abnormal, right? Give an example. Young Christian couple dating, not sleeping together because they want to prepare themselves for marriage, wait for marriage. The world says, that's weird, Just live together. Uh, No, we don't. We can't. That would be unholy. Well, that's weird. What do you do on Sundays? I get up and get lectured. (laughs) How much do they pay you for that? They don't. I actually pay them 10%. (laughs) Of what? Of my income. Well, that's weird. Right? That's weird. What is holy to God is rebellion against the world. 
So if you're being conformed to the world, you're going back to your own selfishness. You're going back to what makes you feel good, what lifts you up. Yet what God wants you to be like is his son. There's a conflict, and you're going to have to pick a side. Either you're going to pick God, or you're going to pick the narrative of our world. I have, I have, a, uh, I have a, a rule now, after the past few years, of social media. My rule for social media is this. Whenever I get a bunch of people on my social media feed telling me where to go, what to do, how to think, all saying the exact same thing, my natural response is I should go the other way. <laughs> Whatever they're doing, tell me to do, I should do the opposite of what they're saying. I'm not saying that what they're saying is wrong, but I'm saying what the, the root of what they're saying is probably wrong. Okay? I should, I should um, bow down to these policies or these policies. No, the issue is not the policies, the issue is the sinner. I should allow for, you know, um, we, sh- we, sh- we should engage in the desire to fight for certain rights. No, scripture says all people are made in the image of God. You go the opposite. Because how should we live in a hostile world? We place God over our own selfishness. God calls us to be holy, church. He calls you to be, it's not an option, by the way. If you think this is an option, oh, yeah, I think about it. It's not an option. God calls you to live in holiness. That means you are now in rebellion to the world around you. God over selfishness. Here's the other one. How are we to be living in a hostile world? God over culture. Look at verse 17. Since you call on the Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your life as strangers here in reverent fear. Live your life strangers or exiles here in reverent fear, foreigners. Okay? God over culture. The word exile, I think I I shared this with you guys, it means that you live in one country, though you are a citizen of another. You live in one country, though your value and what you hold to is the value of another. There's only three ways that you can live in a foreign country, right? Only three ways. One way is you live as an immigrant. If you're an immigrant, what are you trying to do? You want to be a part of that country. You want to assimilate. You want to assimilate into the culture. You want to embrace the culture. You want the culture to be your culture as an immigrant. Or you live as a tourist. You come into a country, you look at it, but there's really no contact. You want to enjoy the culture. You want to taste the culture. You want to immerse yourself and understand the culture, right? But you have no contact to the culture. Or you live as an exile. And what's an exile? We live in this country with the value of our true country. We are not immigrants. We don't apply for citizenship here, but we are not tourists. We are not spectators either. We're here. We're part of this family. We're part of this group. We're part of this place. We're here. We're touching you. We're a part of it. We're living. Or we, we have jobs here. We, we, we get married here. We raise our kids here. We go to school here. Peter is saying, live out your life here with the value of your true home, our father's home, not to the culture around you. How should you be living in a hostile world? How should the sons and daughters of the living God be living in a hostile world? How should you, who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, redeemed by him, given eternal life, promise of eternity, promise of identity, 
To live now in this world is God over culture. And for us, that means this. Marry, have children, but don't kill unwanted babies. In the Roman world, we, if you were a newborn baby, you know that baby was considered a property? It was a property of the woman and therefore can be thrown in the river. It's a property. You can throw a baby away just like you can throw a rag doll away. In the Roman world, women were the property of men. If I don't want you, I'll sell you. Because you're just property. Poor were the property of the ruling class. If I don't like you, I'll kill you. You're just property. There's nothing special, unique, or good about you. And Christianity comes in into this world as exiles. Christians live in this world as exiles. And what do they do? Throughout the century, Christians did what? They enlarged the circle of what life is. Christianity has respected life, protected lives. Women's rights drew from the very principles of Christianity. Civil rights drew from the very principles of Christianity. Freedom out of slavery, chattel slavery, grew out of the principles of Christianity. Why? Because in Christianity, what was once objects and properties are now what? Persons made in the image of God. Why? Because in our country, in our true home, exiles here, in our true home, in our Father's home, all life is valuable because all life is made in his image. That's why we value it. That's why we fight for it. That's why we stand up for it. We live here with the value of our true home. We don't acquiesce to the values of today. We don't acquiesce to the value of our culture. We don't conform to it. We put God over it because our true home is the home of our Father. You know what that means for us as believers also? It means they're persecuted by all, yet love, yet they love everyone. In our true country, we truly forgive. We know how to forgive. You know why? Because we know that people can change. There are no lost causes. And so what was done to you can be forgiven. That you can actually forgive. Anyone in the hands of our Father, anyone in the hands of our Father can change. Doesn't matter how messed up you are, how broken you are, your, your, your consistent, committed way of hurting people around you, in the hand of the Father, anyone can change. That's why here in our world, here in this world, while we live here, we don't just skip people aside. We don't just pass people up. We don't just forget about them. We just don't put them in the back of our mind saying, whatever, I don't care about you. We live with a true heart that we can forgive. Because in our world, in our home, in our true home, all lives can be changed. In our true homes, God over culture, it means this. We share our table with everybody, but we don't share our beds with everybody. We understand that sex is built for not just the physical carnal pleasure of it, but it's built for this beautiful picture of renewal, this beautiful picture of uh, renewing of a covenant, of a promise. It's made to be unique and beautiful. We don't conform to that. Everyone in that world tells you what? It tell, in, in our world tells you it's, it's okay, it's fine, it's just animal instincts, you just gotta go with it. 
In our true home, in our father's home, as exiles, we live how? Sex is not just about carnal animal instincts. Sex is about the renewal of beauty, the connection of one, two souls becoming one. It's a taste of heaven, a touch of heaven. It's a promise of togetherness. In our true home, as Christians, we are poor, yet we make many rich. We are short on everything, yet we have plenty, yet have plenty of all things. You know what that means? We live simply. We don't need the values of the properties around us to give us a sense of identity or worth. We don't need the super high-charged vehicles or the multi-bedroom homes or the crazy expensive furniture that we have. We live simply. The value of our true country is that God is our wealth, not these things. So these things we can let it go at any time. We can, we can walk away from it any time. We don't have much because why? Because in our true country, our wealth comes from our God, and so we give our wealth away. We're willing to lay it down. You're radically offering it. I'm not against money, church, right? I am against when you guys make it your heart, when you forget the value of your true home, and you forget where your true worth comes from, and that our God is the wealth, not our property. See, we are exiles, and we place God's value over culture's value. How are we to live in a hostile world? God over the mob? God over selfishness? God over culture? And here's the last one. Verses 18 and 21. God over family. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these days, in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. God over family. What does that mean by the empty ways of family, of your forefathers? How many of us have inherited empty, unhealthy connections to our family? Right? Think about that. You're like, I don't know. What are some ways in which we inherited empty, useless ways? The guilt. Right? The guilt. We're, most of us are Asian, so we understand guilt, right? Like... I raised you, I fed you. Now your only job is to basically take care of me to the day I die, right? The guilt. You're such a bad son and bad daughter if you walk away from me. If you don't listen to me. The guilt. How about this? The tradition. It's how our family has always done it. Yeah, that's probably why it didn't work out very well for a lot of us, mom, right? But that's how we have always done it. How about the pride? It's our family name. Don't let anyone mess with the family name. Pride is how Satan fell. So I'm not sure pride is the thing you should be focusing on, right? The loyalty. You are loyal to no one else. You marry someone else there, they are the outsiders, right? You in this family, you are loyal to that. 
The unhealthy relationships, the facade, the front that you put up, the us versus them mentality. How many of us have inherited empty ways from our forefathers, from our ancestors, from our families? And some of us have cling to our family. Some of us, some, uh, some of us have learned to cling to our families, and some of us have hated our families so much that we ran away to create a new group of broken families that we call fam, right? That builds up even more empty ways. I'm not saying everything is bad, right? But even in the good, there's shallowness to it, isn't there? There's no depth. Do what we do only because it makes us better. These empty ways our family is the very thing our family keeps saying, hold on to this. This is what's going to save you. This is what's going to keep you strong. This is what's going to help you to move forward. This is what's going to keep you alive. This is what's going to keep us in line. This is what's going to keep our line from continuing over and over. This is what's going to keep us going. These empty ways given to us. And Peter is saying, there's only one thing that can save you, that can set you apart, that can free you, and it's not bought by silver or gold. You can't buy it. It's not, it's not found in the empty ways of our family. The only way is to set your heart on the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the only way that can help you or guide you or lead you or strengthen you to live in a hostile world. You are a son and daughter of the living God. You are to live in this world set apart for God as exiles for God. And the only way for you to be able to do that, for you to put God over the mob, God over your selfishness, God over these things, even family, is that you set your heart on the cross of Jesus Christ, the one who is without blemish, the one who is pure, the one who was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, the Bible says, you believe in God who was raised from the dead, glorified, and so your faith and hope are in God. For Christians, for us, it means this. Set your hearts on what he did. He sacrificed himself for you. He faced ridicule and shame for you. He was disowned by the Father for you. He prepared everything for you. He made a way for your future. Set your heart on that. That is the way. That is the direction. That is the path. And so often, so often, church, we set our hopes on what? Silver and gold. What I can buy. We set our hopes on the empty ways of our family traditions. That's been passed down to us over and over, but rarely do we set our hopes on Jesus. I think it's simply because we haven't spent that time with him and his word to see it. Because how, how, how are you, it's so easy to say, hey, Tony, yeah, I, know, I get it, I'm supposed to set my ways on Jesus, but how, how am I supposed to do that? It's, you actually have to open this right here, and you have to read it. The Bible says this is a living word. It means that as you're reading it, he is reading it to you. He is speaking to you. And as he is speaking to you, you begin to see what he is doing for you. You begin to see what he has done for you. You begin to see his heart, his life, his direction, his, perfect, his perfection, his holiness, all of that guiding you, watching you, leading you, teaching you. I know, I know if you see it, your heart will be moved. I know that if you would open this word and read it as if he is speaking to you himself, your heart will be moved. You know how I know this? I gave this example a while back 
but it's a good one, so I'm going to use it again. We do this so naturally. All you guys who watch Korean drama, right? You focus so much on the episodes. 16 episodes, right? 16. I got 16 passages. Think about that. 16 chapters, 16 episodes, okay? And what do you watch when you see Korean drama? You watch the protagonist, the guy. And you watch the girl, right, the lead character, the female. And you watch how he does what? He sacrifices himself for her, right? How he faced ridicule and shame for her. How he was disowned for her. That he prepared everything for her. He made a way for her future. And the problem, and you're constantly screaming at the TV because you're like, why can't she see it? Why can't she look at his face? If I was there, I would have seen it. If I was there, my, my intuition would have kicked in. I would have, get, I would have gotten everything. I, would have, I wouldn't have let him got this far. I would just say, no, I get it. I love you. And the movie would be over, right? You think so. But he do the exact same thing, right? And I think the heavenly hosts, they watch us like a Korean drama. Right? <laughs> I think all heavens watch us like a Korean drama. They're like, why can't they just see it? Like, look at them. Look, look, look how they just, they're just oblivious to it. He died on the cross, oblivious. He made a way for them, oblivious. Here we are with the arrogance to say, if I was there, I would see the love of, I would see the love. And here we are, and yet we have not seen it. And so my prayer for you is this, church. It's not for you just to come on Sunday and listen to me preach or lecture, right, once a, once a week. You're not going to hear everything that he wants to speak to you. You got to open this. You got to see it from the depth of what he's saying, his whispers, his words. He's speaking every moment. That if you would open your Bible and just say, oh, God, speak to me. I'm, li- I'm ready to listen. Speak to me. And you begin to read, I promise I promise he will speak. And what you will receive from his words, something so beautiful, so amazing. You will see his love, his sacrifice. You will see his act, his selflessness. You will see a God like, unlike any other. You will see a holiness and a perfection that will drive you and convict you to live the same way. You would see a hunger and a thirst and a wanting to devote every part of your life into the service of this king, of this Lord, of this God if you would open it and read it. So my prayers, my, my ask of you guys, my church family is this. We live in a hostile world against believers. Why? Because we do not stand for what our narrative, the spirit of the age, speaks to us. It changes all the time. How do we live in a hostile world be sober-minded, think, be Christians with a mind, not mindlessness, so that you will be able to overcome the mob. Be Christians that do not conform, so that you will not be driven by your selfishness. Be Christians who do not put culture over the value of their God. Be Christians who is willing to be part of a new family, where Jesus Christ is the head and our Father is the one directing it. A new family of new brothers, new sisters for a new kingdom. Prayer 
I pray for you, church, that as you live in a hostile world, don't conform, but be transformed. Let's pray.